I am so excited about this year. You know, I, it's, it's amazing to me how quick they go by. But I am excited about what God wants to do this year. And it has nothing to do with the economy or, uh, or any of that sort of thing or anything else in the natural. It all has to do with what I believe God wants to do spiritually and the impact that, that we, we can make as believers. And so we started out this year, and we're starting out this year talking about being better. Now, that could cover a lot of territory because there are lots of things you want to be better at. And, um, but the thing that is important is, 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 David said, is that we've got to be better in our communion with God, our Father. And the more we're communing with him, the closer we are, the more that we're interacting with him. Because it is an interaction. <clears throat> I had the Lord do some, say something one time. I was praying, and I'd been praying for about three hours. I, I mean, I had some things I really needed some answers to. And, and I heard the Lord say this to me. He said, well, can you just be quiet a minute? I've got some things I'd like to pray to you about. <laughs> now, you might think that's irreligious, but it's not. He wanted to talk to me. I was so busy talking to him, and he had things he wanted to say to me. And I'm sure glad because what he had to say for me solved what I'd been praying about for three hours. So we need that relationship, that communion together. And in order to do that, we've got to be prepared to be better and to get better. This 21 days of prayer and fasting is exactly that. It is a time to get better. It, your communion, your fellowship with God. And I have people ask me all the time about fasting. You know, well, well, what kind of fast? Listen, the only thing that I would not say would be a fast, and, and there are plenty, but, but one of the things just, so if you're thinking about fasting, swimming in the swimming pool right now, you're probably not fasting because it's something you weren't going to do anyway. So outside of that, you can identify things that you can separate yourself from <clears throat> that will help you get closer to God. I mean, some of you could just turn off your iPhone for a while. I mean, that would, you'd be amazed at how much time you've got to talk to God if you don't have to look at that, at that phone or television or whatever. So I, I'm not telling you what to do. That's not something that, that is a responsibility of anybody but you and the Holy Spirit. But you need to prepare yourself. And whatever, that, whatever track that takes, that's fine. And it's between you and the Lord. <clears throat> a lot of times people think, you know, well, I'm, I'm fasting. I'm going to tell everybody what I'm doing and what I'm fasting. Well, you might want to go read what Jesus said about that. Because he really didn't encourage that kind of talk at all. He said, keep it to yourself. So I just want to encourage you in that area. But, but our goal is to, is to prepare for 2019 and beyond as a believer. I believe there are, are always going to be preparation times in our lives. And I think number one is the beginning of the year. It's a great time to say, you know what, I'm going to start something here. And I'm going to, I'm going to get prepared and I'm going to get ready. And God's going to use me and we're, I'm going to be better. And so we pick prayer as the better. Because if you start praying and seeking God and communing with the Father, you're going to see God do other things in your life and your relationships and things are going to work in a, in a better way. Let me tell you something else about, about prayer, okay? 
this is, this is just a fact. It is impossible to pray too much. Okay? It's impossible to pray too much. It's also impossible for you to pray like somebody else. <laughs> you are an individual. You have to pray for yourself. I had the privilege for many years of being on a, a, a board with Dr. Cho, Dr. Paul Yanji Cho, who was um, a tremendous man of prayer. He pastored the largest church in the world at that time. On Sunday morning, he was speaking to almost a million people live. At his campus, 50,000, and then he had 100,000 people campuses all over <clears throat> Seoul in the, in, the, in the Korean Peninsula. Amazing. I preached there one, for him one time, which was a tremendous, tremendous blessing. <clears throat> and he said, you just preached to a million people. I said, wow. <clears throat> That's pretty cool to be able to preach to a million people at one time. But he was a tremendous, tremendous man of prayer. He built a, built a, a facility on this mountain and called it Prayer Mountain. And I went there, and it was a, you know, people went there just to pray. They needed healing. They needed deliverance. They needed things in their lives. They prayed and stayed till they got what they needed. And he was a, a, an amazing man of prayer. <coughs> My coughing is not as bad as it sounds, so don't, don't fret about it. But um, I was having dinner with him one night with several other ministers, and one of the ministers asked him, if you could do something different in your life, that what you've done, what would it be? <coughs> without, without even thinking, he said, I'd pray more. The minute he said that, I said, I'm in trouble. <laughs> I am in big trouble because if he thinks he needs to pray more and I can't even run with him in prayer, I'm in trouble. Don't ever look at prayer that way. <coughs> That's not what prayer's about. Prayer's not about competition or your relationship based on somebody else's relationship, it's you, you and the Father. It's interesting, too, because one of the last questions that, that I know of personally that anyone asked Billy Graham when he was 100, almost 100 years old was, if you could do more, what would it be? And you know what he said? Same thing, prayer. So don't ever think, well, Lord, I, I got to do more and I got to be like so-and-so. You just do what you do to pray, to grow, to get better, and you'd be amazed at what God can do in your life. The other thing is your prayer time is your prayer time. My, I have a, a friend who is a professional athlete and and uh, pretty well known, you know, and, and, and I've had opportunity to kind of mentor him over the years. And, and he was talking to me one day, and he, he asked me, he said, uh, how much time do you spend in prayer? Well, this was a number of years ago. And, and uh, no, he said, when you were younger, how much time did you spend in prayer? And I told him, I said, well, about three hours a day. Well, you could see his whole countenance sunk. I said, no, wait a minute. Hang on just a second, okay? Listen to me. First of all, that's all I had to do. I was called to preach and nobody wanted me to preach, so all I, ha I had plenty of time to pray. So, so you, can't, you can't measure somebody else's prayer by your prayer or your prayer time by their prayer time. I mean, uh, I, I'm amazed at, 
<laughs> the way people are with prayer. Because, for example, I pray in the morning. You know, I like to get up early. Well, my wife, you're not getting her up early unless it's an emergency. Or one of the grandbabies is calling or something. I mean, she's just not going to do it. But she'll, she'll stay up to 2 o'clock in the morning praying. So you can't judge prayer, okay? And I've gone way over talking about this, but, but you have to know and understand, <clears throat> don't ever think that you have to judge prayer by somebody. It's, it's just, it doesn't have to be that way. All you have to do is be prepared for yourself. Now, it's amazing that we'll prepare a meal. We'll prepare for something, an, an event, why not be prepared by prayer for what God wants in our lives for the future? Everything we do, we prepare for. We need to be prepared as well by prayer. Once you understand that, then God can use you in prayer and work through you in prayer if you'll just make up your mind to do it. Jesus made this statement in Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 33. And I want you to listen to this. Jesus said, take heed, watch, and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It's like a man going to a far country. He left his house, his authority to his servants, and each his work, and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, and do not, because you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, midnight, at crowing of the roost, or in the morning, lest coming suddenly he find you asleep, and what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now, you know what watching is? <clears throat> it's paying attention. We get so distracted in our lives, even about prayer, when it says watch and pray, we get so distracted sometimes that we don't pay attention. And, and, and something will come up and we'll say, you know, I, I didn't even pray about that. Or someone will have a need and you'll encourage them. And you say, you know what? I should have stopped and prayed. What? what? Duh. Why does that happen? Because we're not paying attention. But the more you prepare yourself and the more you're ready, you're going to not only have the opportunity to pray, <clears throat> you're going to have the opportunity to invest your, yourself in someone else's life in prayer. And God's going to be able to use you in a great way. So, you have to pay attention to your prayer life. Refocus and get better. Jesus said it this way in Luke chapter 18. Listen to what it says. Verse 1. Jesus spoke a parable to them. Now, why did he speak this parable? Listen to what it says. That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Okay. The word there, lose heart, actually means come unhinged. I don't know whether you've ever come unhinged or not. I, I've come unhinged before, okay? You just lose it. I didn't know y'all were so holy down here in Lake Charles. I mean, <clears throat> but, but Jesus made a statement here, and he said you ought to always pray so you don't come unhinged. And then he gives a parable. <laughs> it's important that you hear this. Listen, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, 
But afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. So you got to pay attention to what he said. He said, I'm going to answer this woman's prayer because she won't back off. Sometimes you wonder why you're not getting your prayers answered. It's because you're not, you, you backed off. <clears throat> Amen. I, hey, look, I know there are wonderful formulas for prayer and for faith. But I want to tell you, sometimes it's persistence that gets the job done. And if you're not prepared for that, you're going to miss out on some things that God might want to do in your life. So he said, he said, I, I'm going to answer this woman because of that. Now listen to what else he said in verse 8. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the, the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In other words, Jesus was saying, if this man will do it, God will do it. Amen. Okay, if this man would do this, this judge would do this, God will do this for his people. And Jesus said, I wonder if I'm going to find faith when I come. He's not talking about faith like you're a faith giant. He's talking about faith in prayer. Somebody that's willing to stay with it. Somebody who's willing to believe. Somebody who's willing to see God do something in their lives. It's important that you understand Jesus is looking for faith that's released in prayer. Now, again, I understand there are formulas of faith that work about faith. Well, I believe I receive, and then you don't ever talk about it again. Let me tell you something. The Bible does not tell you not to talk about it again. Okay, I don't want to get into that. But, bottom, but, but there is a way for you to per, be persistent in your faith and in your prayer toward the Lord. Listen to what Hebrews eleven six says. This will help you with this. Hebrews eleven six says, Without faith, <clears throat> it is impossible to please him. Right? All right, but now listen to the rest of this. It's important. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is <coughs> and that he is a rewarder of those who what? Diligently seek him. That's our goal. To be diligent seekers. That's where faith is. That's where faith works. It works in that realm of the spirit where you go in there in the presence of God by faith, commune with him, fellowship with him, and he'll answer prayer. He'll answer your prayer. Now, here's the problem I think that we have sometimes. We think that prayer is just getting an answer from God about something. But I want to tell you something. Prayer, prayer goes so much further than that and so beyond that. And if you'll understand it, you'll find out that having communion with God, talking to God, spending time with him, and just in fellowship is going to be more meaningful for you. If you understand, listen to me, if you understand what prayer means to God, 
Let me show you a scripture that will help you with this in Revelations. You've got to be prepared for prayer, but you've got to understand the value of prayer to God. Okay? He's not mad because you're not praying. He's glad when you do. Isn't that good news? He's glad when you do. <laughs> He's not upset because, well, they didn't pray today. I'm, I'm going to be mad all day because he didn't call me or he didn't pray. You know, it's like your girlfriend didn't call you and you're going to be mad because you know, my girlfriend didn't call me all. God, that's not the way God thinks. He's glad when you do. Listen to what it says in Revelations. I'm going to help you with this. In Revelations chapter 5 and verse 8. Now, when he had taken the scroll, now listen to this. The four living creatures, the 24 elders, fell down before the Lamb, that's Jesus, <clears throat> each having a harp. Now, listen to this. And golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. God has bowls. Let me put it to you today. Boxes full of prayers. Big boxes full of prayers. He holds them. He holds on to them. Now, I don't know how God does that. I know that his, his, uh, um, his cloud system is much better than any that we got on earth, okay, <laughs> to store stuff. So I'm not the least bit concerned about how he does it. But I want to tell you something. Every prayer that's ever gone up before him, he still has it. Amen. He still holds on to it. Why? Well, the Bible calls it incense. It is a smell to him. It is a fragrance to him. It is a reminder of him of who you are until you're with him. He's divinely connected to you. And every time you commune with him, it is valuable to him. It is important to him. <clears throat> and he wants that. <clears throat> it's not about, well, God's got it, but he hadn't answered it yet. I wish he'd pull it out of his file and answer it. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that you talk to him and it was a sweet-smelling aroma to him. Some reason God likes to smell stuff. <laughs> I'm sorry, but he does. He loves that aroma of your prayer. It brings an incense to him. It brings something to him that he wants remembered in his, li in, in his life with you, his relationship with you, and he keeps it stored up. Let me show you an example of this over in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, verse 1, it says, There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. Okay, so this guy's not a Jew. So that means he's without covenant with God. According to Ephesians chapter 2, he's without covenant and without hope. Because he's not Jewish. He, he's not part of the covenant of Israel at all. Okay. Now listen to what it says. But he is a devout man. <laughs> In other words, there is a desire there to know God. 
It says a devout man, one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people. Now listen to this. And prayed always. You know, that ought to embarrass some of us. Here's a guy who doesn't even have a relationship with God, and he prays all the time. He feared God. He recognized there was a God. And because of that, he feared God. All right, now listen to what happened here. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius, and when he had observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, listen to this, you ready? Your prayers and your alms or your giving have come up for a memorial before God. Your prayers have come up for a memorial before God. Someone who was not even in covenant relationship with God brought prayers that God liked. They were a memorial before God. The, the definition here of memorial is to think of and to feel for a person. God had feelings for that man because he prayed. And those prayers came up to him and he was moved by them. He was touched by them. And you know what? God said, I can't do without this guy. He's got to know my son. He's got to know my son. I'm going to find a way for him to be introduced to my son. And he sent an angel and said, go get Peter. He's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. And this same man in his household, now listen to me. The same man in his household who feared God and prayed got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't ever think, you see somebody praying, you say, well, they're not even a Christian. They're in trouble if they're praying. Especially if they're not a Christian. Because God hears those prayers. These went up, and God smelled them and liked them and was willing to find someone to go preach to him in fact, the amazing thing is he was the very entrance that you and I walked through as Gentiles. He was the door. He was the first. Let me put it this way. He was the first of our kind. He was the first of our kind. Now, let me explain it to you another way that, that, that really helped me. Because... The thing, that the thing that the Lord cherishes is what he cherished from the very beginning, okay? Go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were in the garden. And the Bible says that in the cool of the evening that the Lord would come down and fellowship with them. 
Isn't that amazing? Now, that's exactly what he wants to do with you. And when you pray, he values that time. And that's why he keeps those prayers in front of him, in those bowls, in those boxes, wherever they are, they're there. That he can recall you personally. Let me, this is the way the Lord showed it to me, okay? I'm, I'm kind of a sentimental kind of guy, you know, and <clears throat> over the years I've had people give me birthday cards or Christmas cards and my wife, you know, at our anniversary or birthday, she always gives me a card and she'll write something in it and it's always cool. And I have every card probably that's ever been given to me. I have boxes of cards. At Word of Life, you know, they, they would celebrate, you know, until I told them was, I'm old enough, I don't need any more celebration. But they would celebrate a birth, my birthday. You know, the people in the church would give me a birthday card. I keep every one of them. Not only do I keep them, but I've read them. I read every one of them. I, I would sit for hours. I had, a, I had my knees replaced a number of years ago, and so everybody wrote me, a, you know, a card. I sat in my chair and read every one of those cards. And I have them today. I could go read them again today. Why? They're valuable to me because they're a communication to somebody who cared. And now you have cards filed with the Father in heaven because of your prayers. Now that may make you kind of feel bad because you don't think you have very many. Don't, don't count. Just understand that they're there. And it is a representation of God's love for you and his desire to have more fellowship with you, more communion with you. So when you pray and you go to the Lord and you're praying, you just need to know he's hearing you. It's being recorded and it's going to be kept because he loves you. And that's communion that he desperately wants with you until the end. until this thing is over with and you can stand in his presence. That's what he wants. So I have two things for you here at the end here. Number one is talking about prayer. What does God want? Okay. We have to get out of this, this thought process that, well, God just wants to see if we got faith to ask him for something. He wants the communion. He wants the fellowship. But he's after something even bigger than that. Something really big. Ephesians chapter 2, Paul said this, beginning in verse 20, that we've been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Do you understand that God is building a temple on the earth? And it's not just you, it's us. Okay? We're the temple of God. I understand the the Bible tells me I'm a temple, but it also says he's building a holy temple out of all of us. 
And he has purpose for that. Why does he want to do that? Because he wants to dwell there. He wants to dwell in our midst. All right, so now let me back up a minute and show you this real quick, all right? In, now, in Matthew chapter 21, Jesus went into the temple of God in verse 12. He went in the temple of God okay, and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. <coughs> they had made it a house of profit. Okay. So he drove them out. He drove them out. And listen to what it says. And he said to them, it is written, y'all still here? My house shall be called a house of prayer. What house is he talking about? The temple. Who is the temple now? Now here's the other thing about it. As soon as he did that and the house was cleansed, then it says in verse 14, the blind, the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. This, this is what our Father desires for us as his believers to literally be in a place where we are willing to pray and make the temple the house of God. This 21 days of prayer that you're entering into can change your destiny. It can change this campus. It can change this city. It can change all sorts of things because God desperately wants it to be a house of prayer because that's where miracles happen. That's where things happen. That's where God can do great things. You go look back over in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. It talks about in verse 1 when Solomon prayed in the temple, when they dedicated the temple, it says that the glory of God came into the temple and they could not even stand because of the glory of God. When you pray and you become that temple, that's what God wants. He's looking for a dwelling place. He's looking for habitation. He's looking for communion. He's looking for fellowship. He's looking for that reciprocal flow. Not just a, well, they prayed. I guess I'll answer their prayer. Hope they call me next year. That's not what he's after. So that's what God wants. All right. Well, what do you want? <coughs> well, I need answers. I understand. Listen, the greatest thing to me, one of the greatest things about living this Christian life is I don't have to live it by myself. Amen. I've got a God who's willing to help me. Amen. I've got a God who is willing to answer my prayer, guide my life, instruct me, teach me how to really do life. So I have found out that what I want God is willing to give me to answer. It says he'll give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said what things soever you desire when you pray. Now I understand that there are unholy desires and I understand James dealt with that but, but I'm talking about sincere people. 
You, ha you have questions, he's got answers. If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives liberally and upbraideth not. What, what do you need? What do you want? Blind Bartimaeus came to Jesus. It was pretty evident what he needed. He was blind as a bat. He couldn't see in his hand in front of his face. <coughs> but you know what he did? He asked him, what do you want? Why? Because we have to ask. Well, the Lord knows everything I have need of. He does, and he's waiting for you to ask him because he wants to give it to you. But if you're going to sit there and just wonder why I don't have this and why I don't have that, and well, you know, I just hope it's the Lord's will. Well, you need to find out what his will is so you can ask him. I'm not trying to be rude this morning. I'm just trying to get you to understand that God has everything you need and is well able, we know that, but also very willing to meet the needs of your life. Far beyond anything you could ever imagine. But you've got to ask. You, you've got to ask. You, you've got to say, okay, Lord, I, I, need, I need understanding here. I need wisdom here. I need this in my life. I need favor in my life. Lord, I, whatever it may be. Now, I understand sometimes people get discouraged because they ask and they don't get the answer they think or they get impatient about it or whatever it may be and they don't get the answer. <clears throat> Many times we ask questions or we ask God for something that involves somebody else's will. I, I don't mean to be, God's not going to change somebody else's will. They have to change their will. Now, he can sure put them in a position to want to change. But the point is, you have to understand there are, there are, there are laws of prayer that you have to go by. But, by. but don't get bogged down in that. Ask. One, of the, one scripture that, that, that helps me so much, and I'm just about finished, but listen to this. is in James chapter 5, beginning in verse 16. And it talks about, the latter part of it says this, and I'm going to read it out of the Amplified Bible. Listen to what it says. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man avails much. It's dynamic in its working. The earnest, heartfelt, Continued prayer of a righteous man. So, well, I know there's the part that gets me. It's that righteous man. That's being right. You got to do right. You got to, listen, it has nothing to do with your right. It has to do with Jesus' right. He became the righteousness of God for us. He was made sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God, not because I'm something great or I do things right, but because Jesus did and he's my Savior. So you are that righteous person. Don't ever let somebody, well, you can't get prayers answered. Look at what you've done. Well, listen, nobody get prayers answered. Because, but it's not our righteousness. The earnest, heartfelt Continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. Now listen to me a minute. The one of the things that you're going to find out about this 21 days of prayer 
It's not going to just get you answers, but it's going to make other things work. I found when I set myself aside to pray and, and do something different, do something extra in prayer, not only do I get what I need as far as direction or whatever it may be, but all of a sudden I find other things start working. Other things start happening. Why? Because when you're praying, you're creating a dynamic around you where God can do other things, where other things can work in your life. You can have things happen to you, wisdom come to you, things uh, that, that are bestowed upon you that you didn't even expect. But if you'll listen, it's because you've been praying. <clears throat> and you just made more power available by your praying. Well, I'm just not really good at prayer. I'm not very strong. Listen to verse 17 in the Amplified Bible. Elijah was a human being with a nature such as we have, with feelings, affections, and a constitution like ours. Okay? You might want to check on Elijah. Elijah prayed, and you know what happened? He stopped the rain. Three years later, he prays again, it starts raining. Now, I don't mean to, I understand, listen, he was a prophet, but the Bible says he was just like you, just like me. Same feelings, same emotions, constitution, just same. But here's what he did. <clears throat> now, this is the secret of the whole thing, okay? He prayed. He prayed. If you pray, you're going to see God do something. You go through that book every day, and you read that lesson every day, very simple, and you apply that in your life. Say, well, that's so simple. That's baby stuff. Well, just be a baby for a while. Just humor me. You'll see God do things in this 21 days that you'd be shocked about because you were willing to, for just 21 days, stay with it. Stay with it 21 days. And see something amazing. The last week, we're going to have prayer. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to make a difference. It's going to explode. It's going to explode in a litany of answers for you, of other dynamics working, other things working that you don't even realize, maybe even in the city, because you're willing to do one thing, and it's what Elijah did. Listen, pray. Just pray. Just offer up prayers of faith. Go before God. Take, take 10 minutes. Well, I've only ever taken five. Well, take 10. Well, I've only taken 10. Take 15. Whatever it is. And make up your mind, I'm going to pray. I'm going to send love letters up to my father. And I know that when I get to heaven, I'm going to have a file. Don't know how big it's going to be, how small. He's not going to judge it by that. He's going to judge it by the aroma. Ooh, that smells like Sam Carr right there. That was one of his prayers. Because that's the goal. 
you talk about being better in 21 days, you're going to be better. You're going to be better because of what God did. Amen. Did y'all get anything out of this this morning?